Hello, welcome to GAT Insight Podcast. My name is Lee Wong, host of the podcast. This podcast brings you insights and conversation with community leaders and policymakers. Specifically, we focus on legislative issues affecting AAPI communities in Metro Atlanta and Georgia. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Michelle Au, who recently won the State House District 50 in the November 22 election. Dr. Au is an anesthesiologist by profession. She originally served in Georgia's State Senate as a Democratic member for District 48. Um, she was the first Asian-American woman elected to the Georgia Senate. She graduated with a BA from West Wellesley College and an MD, a Master of Public Health, and a PhD from Columbia University. Welcome back. I'm pleased to have Dr. Michelle Au joining us in our podcast today. Um, Dr. Au, I remember our first conversation goes back into January 2020, right before the COVID pandemic. Where I you think that's right. Yeah, that's where you first announced your candidacy for the Georgia Senate seat. Uh, we had a bi- we had the honor of being the first media group to speak with you then. And uh, anyway, welcome and please share your thoughts with our audience uh, about the new Georgia Assembly, specifically the first two weeks, the vibes, the atmosphere inside the State House uh, during the first two weeks of session. And Georgia has. First of all, thank you. Uh, yes. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say thank you. Thank you, first of all, for having me. And thank you for being the first media that I spoke to when I ran for office the first time in 2020. Uh, you know, running for office for the first time is always sort of like a daunting. <laughs> prospect because it is a big change and I really uh, am grateful to Georgia Asian Times for um, noticing that I was running and uh, putting such faith in the work I've been doing and continuing to support me as I switch chambers from the Senate to the House. Yes. So the first two weeks of the session, you know, we started Monday, January 9th. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of a slow start to the session, honestly, right? Because what we're seeing is um, usually the first week, generally speaking, is, is largely ceremonial because people are getting sworn in. This year we had the governor's inauguration that Thursday, so there was a lot of things that the legislature that were involved in that were uh, that were largely ceremonial and not so much the, the classic work of the legislature where you think of uh, That's right. bills and committees and things like that because none of that has actually gotten going yet. The other big change, obviously, is that this year there's a huge leadership shakeup in, in both chambers, right? Like I had been in the state Senate. We have a new lieutenant governor and a whole new leadership structure over there. So people are sort of um, shifting around and learning the ropes on that side. And on the House side, we lost, um, sadly, our longstanding speaker of the House, David Ralston. And we have elected a new speaker, uh, Representative John Burns, who uh, is also stepping into some big shoes and that office is also figuring out um, what they're doing and their leadership structure, assigning committee chairs, all that type of thing. Yeah. So we are still in that process now of, of, of getting the legislature ramped up. But I do think that 
by the end of the week, we should have our House committee assignment. So that's going to be the first step into getting some bills moving through those those committees. And once things get going, I suspect it'll go a lot faster. Wow, that's that's a lot on your plate. So right now, there are 11 AAPI elected representative to the Georgia House and Senate. I think this is historic figure and is considered the largest representation of AAPI legislative caucus in the nation. You recently have been chosen by your peers as an as the chairperson. Can you share your thoughts on the focus and the goals of the um, of this bipartisan caucus? Yes, it is, it is historic. So Georgia, as of 2022, has 11 state legislators who are AAPI. This is obviously the largest that Georgia has ever had. But as you know, it's also one of the largest in the nation. I believe that as of my counting, that uh, we have the largest AAPI caucus in the country except for Hawaii, right? So that's, that's historic. But it's also notable because as we can see, from how Georgia has been changing over time, as we can see from our census data, and as we can see from our voting data in terms of who's turning out to vote, that um, the AAPI population in Georgia is growing rapidly, one of the fastest growing um, uh, ethnic subgroups in, in the state, right, really in the country, and also that AAPI voters uh, are engaged, they're highly engaged in the electoral process, and that finally, uh, API candidates can run in Georgia and win, right? So it's a lot going on, but the the composition of the caucus and the size of the caucus and how diverse we are, even within the caucus itself, uh, is a great uh, sort of uh, picture of the diversity within the API community in the state. Mm. Our audience are very keen to hear from you and to know what are the AAPI uh, legislative agendas for this year? Yes, yeah, so we had our first caucus meeting the very first day of session, so on January 9th. And in that first meeting, um, we first of all, we voted in our bylaws and we voted in our leadership. And I'm, of course, very honored and humbled to have been voted chair of the committee, uh, sorry, of the caucus by my colleagues. And I, I promise I won't let them down and we'll do very good work and work very hard. Uh, not so much for us as individuals, but really for our communities and representing the work that our communities want us to do, because that is the goal of a caucus, right? It's not to represent us as individual legislators, but to make sure that the voices that aren't always heard in rooms of power or at the Capitol are, are heard now, because we're here representing those voices. Some of the priorities that we identified as an AAPI caucus have to do with what we've been hearing from our voters and hearing from our communities for many years. One of the first priorities that is a bipartisan priority is to continue increasing the engagement and turnout of the AAPI electorate, right? And um, part of that is to make sure that the increase in voter turnout, I think in 2020, API voter turnout increased by 84%, which is phenomenal. But we want to make sure that that's not a transient phenomenon, that it's not um, a one-time thing, right? That we want to continue to build on those successes and make sure that we habituate these voting behaviors for Asian voters um, for every election, right? Every election in the future should uh, have an API voter outreach plan, and that should be uh, uh, a normal thing that every campaign is thinking of and that every government is thinking of because it's not just about elections. It's also about the work that we do 
as a government and making sure that we are communicating with our constituents and that important issues, important bills are being translated, for example, and um, that our constituents know the work of the government that we're doing so that they can continue to be uh, invested members of our community. So yeah. that is that is the first priority. Yeah, I, I second priority I, we discussed. I, th- I think that is very important, especially um, the last election cycle. You probably have witnessed the the young API demographic really come out to vote. So we definitely want to push that and also to continue that effort for larger, younger voters um, turning out for future votes. I absolutely agree. And to not let that fall off. Like we can't be satisfied with just having that increased turnout that one time because it's not it's not the type of work that you do once and it stays, right? It's continuous work to mm-hmm. keep people engaged and keep people understanding the importance of them to turn out to vote. So that's that's the type of work that we mm-hmm. have talked about as a caucus and it really should be important to members of, of both parties, right? And it is. And I think that's that's clear. Mm-hmm. Um a second priority issue we had talked about has to do with increasing access to education, particularly for our immigrant communities, uh, and that's important for our API community, which is obviously uh, has a lot of immigrants in it represented. What we had discussed, uh, because it is now a new priority of the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. related to increasing our workforce and supporting our workforce, is looking at um, making sure that uh, immigrants, even those who um, are undocumented or DACA recipients, can access in-state tuition at those at those in-state rates because um, education is obviously hugely important to many members of the Asian community, and it's a very important issue for um, for cultivating uh, students who are from immigrant backgrounds. So that's something now that it's become a focus. For um, a lot of Republicans also, I think that if you listen to Governor Kemp's uh, address at the Eggs and Issues breakfast with the Chamber of Commerce uh, last week, that you know that workforce development is a huge priority of his. So hopefully this is something that we can all come together and and push forth. It's going to benefit a lot of people. Well, uh, the governor himself has recently uh, announced his state budget, which includes a tax rebate and a refund of property taxes. Um, in what areas do you think the API uh, community can uh, look out for and specifically any other agendas that you think that might help the API community? Well, one last priority item that I want to mention is something that I heard and that my colleagues have heard consistently in our communities, and that is this issue of public safety, mm-hmm. Right. And I'm going to talk about this in two respects. One is obviously public safety is a huge concern for for all residents in Georgia and in the metro Atlanta area Um, in terms of making sure that our communities are safer, that our kids are safer in school. um, This is a focus for everyone. The subset that I want to talk about of public safety concerns is this issue of anti-AAPI hate and discrimination. And I'm going to frame this in a certain way. One of the events, that really galvanized many AAPI Georgians to start sitting up and taking notice and becoming more involved in the political process were the shootings that took place on March 16th of 2021. And as you might recall, in that event, uh, a gunman bought a gun that morning. 
and by that evening had used that gun to murder eight people, of whom six were Asian women. And this event was obviously shocking and uh, tragic, and it spurred a lot of national discussion about this issue of anti-AAPI hate and discrimination, and frankly, about gun safety and gun violence and how this is really a scourge uh, in our nation, and in Georgia in particular, which has some of the most lax gun laws in this country, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that what we're hearing a lot from our community is concerns about guns being profligate. Uh, In the community, the the lack of safety, this uh, looseness of regulation brings, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, starting to address some of these in a very reasoned way that is focused on public safety, uh, looking at gun violence as a public health issue, because as we know now, uh, gun violence is the number one cause of death in children and teens, which is, um, we, we cannot accept that, right? So to start to look at some of these issues. Obviously, this is a bipartisan caucus, right? So it's one of those things where this can become a politicized issue. However, as um, a caucus member, and as a caucus that represents um, a specific group in Georgia, what we need to do as a caucus is really make sure that we are representing the interests of those communities and not so much representing the interests of any particular party or of us as individual uh, legislators. Well, the second anniversary of the spa shooting is fast approaching on March 16. So um, I remember you and several other um, API legislative members have introduced several bills to protect and also to enhance public safety. Um, are you going to revisit some of those bills that uh, didn't pass through the first try? Yes, uh, we are going to revisit some of those bills. After March 16th of 2021, really just days after, the informal AAPI caucus at that time, which at that time was just five of us. It was me and Senator Sheikh Rahman on the Senate side, and on the House side, uh, Representatives Sam Park, B. Wen, and Marvin Lim dropped a slate of three bills that were uh, addressing these issues of public safety that we are talking around. Mm-hmm. Two of them had to do with uh, increasing language access and translation services for officers of the peace and uh, you know police officers, because what we uh, have seen really around the country is that Issues with AAPI, hate discrimination, uh, violence are vastly underreported. And this is for a number of reasons. People uh, underreport crimes um, for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons for an immigrant heavy community is that they are hesitant to engage with the police and they also um, don't know how to report because they don't speak English, right? Mm-hmm. So two of these bills had to do with language access for interfacing with law enforcement and reporting, right? Because you can't fix a problem if you can't measure it. So this is a emphasis on that. And the third bill that we had dropped at that time, we have already dropped again in this legislative session, has to do with the waiting period for firearm purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, the gunman in the March 16th shootings had bought his gun that very same morning, legally bought his gun, and by that evening had used it to murder eight people. What this bill proposes that we have dropped and that has been signed on to by every Democratic House member of the API caucus is a three-day waiting period for firearm purchases, right? So meaning when you buy a gun, you can get it three days later. And what research has shown in the nine states in the United States, which already have waiting periods, um, Florida is one of those states, I have to note, because um, as we know, Florida can also be quite conservative on these issues, but Florida also has a waiting period. Mm -hmm. 
what a waiting period does is it builds in a cooling off period to try to defuse some of these crimes of impulse. Uh, so obviously mass shootings are what everyone immediately thinks of because they're the most, um, they, they get covered in the news the most. But also this includes things like domestic violence. And it also includes most prominently things like suicide, right, which can be impulsive acts. Um, so to build in that cooling off period has a, a, a measurable impact on gun violence. And uh, the reason we dropped that one is because of the specifics of the crime of March 16th. Well, Dr. Al, as a medical doctor, you are probably uh, acutely aware of the mental health challenges uh, in the API community. Are there any specific help or legislation costs uh, within the caucus that probably that you guys are planning to assist the community? So I've talked to many community members about this issue of mental health being an issue with uh, Asian American Georgians, both in terms of people sometimes culturally being reluctant to access mental health care when they need it, but also having barriers in terms of not having, again, we always come back to this issue of language and um, accessibility not having a sufficient number of uh, mental health providers who can speak different languages, right? Mm -hmm. And it, obviously, when you're already reluctant to engage with uh, mental health care help, right, that it's another barrier to accessing that care if you feel like you can't speak with the person who's trying to provide you that with that help. I don't know that every solution is going to be a purely legislative solution. Not every uh, problem uh, is fixed by writing a bill. Mm -hmm. However, when we look back to HB 1013, which is the Mental Health Parity Act that we passed last session, one of the things that is addressed in that bill that now we have to operationalize, right? Because you can't just say, like, we want to do this. Now we're at the part where it's like, how do we do it, right? Like, how do we fund it? How do we find these people? One of the things that that bill addressed is this pipeline issue of not having enough people practicing mental health care in the state of Georgia. One thing that many of us have suggested, including me, is to uh, increase our data collection of who we have practicing in Georgia right now. Because I will tell you, as a physician, when I reapply for my medical license, I actually have to report a lot of very specific things that helps the state keep track of um, what patient population I take care of and uh, what other skills I have that can enhance that care. So for example, I have to say, do I work in a hospital setting or do I work in a clinic setting? Do I work in a rural area or an urban area? What percent of patients do I take care of that uh, are Medicaid patients? And I have to uh, say what languages I speak, right? And this is for a physician licensure, but that's not true for other types of healthcare providers. So I think what would be very helpful actually is to have that type of reporting uh, required reporting just for demographic and statistical purposes for other mental health care providers who can see what are we working with, what do we need, so that when we try to fill this pipeline that we are selectively addressing the deficiencies, particularly when it comes to culturally competent outreach. Yeah, there is a huge need in the, in the API community where, well, API community is so large where you have over 40 different ethnic groups out here in Metro Atlanta and all speaking different languages, especially the older folks who are not fluent in English, but are facing mental health challenges. And oftentimes when they, you know, show up at uh, medical institutions, they could not receive the help that they need. And this is a huge problem. 
So yeah, I'm glad you are, you know, identifying that and working towards it. And but there is a huge gap that needs to be filled, um, and it's always going to be a challenge in the coming years for that. I think it is, and it's a national problem, right? Like, in, and it's not even just isolated to mental health. We know that there's huge deficiencies in a number of types of uh, medical practitioners, including, you know, family medicine, uh, internal medicine, and uh, geographically that there's deficiencies because a lot of people tend to want to live in urban areas rather than in rural areas, right? So there's geographic uh, clustering of practitioners. There's uh, deficiencies in certain fields that people really need, uh, particularly in primary care. So this is this is a national issue for the medical community overall yeah. and i'm glad in georgia that we are picking mental health as an issue that we are prioritizing not just last year as a one-time thing but this is going to be a project that we're working on yeah. to carry out the goals and the priorities set out in hb 1013 for the next year for the next five years for the next 10 years for the next 20 years this is giving us uh, a roadmap of yeah. what we need to work on yeah i remember specifically uh last year the late uh speaker doc um Speaker of the House, uh, Mr. Ralston, uh, specifically, you know, came on the st- the House floor and uh, you know tried and 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 pitched for the bill to be passed, and it passed. None of, I mean, whole help overwhelmingly by you know the fact that this is this is such an important issue, and and Speaker Ralston uh, passionately share his stories in about the fact that the importance of mental health. Well, I'm glad this is, you know, the first step towards it, and it's always going to be a challenge, but I'm glad that uh, you guys are working towards it. So um, in wrapping up pretty soon, and uh, the Lunar New Year is coming up on January 22nd, what are your specific plans for for the coming Lunar New Year? well, as you know, a Lunar New Year is always a big family time for, for a lot of Asian folks. So on Lunar New Year's Eve itself and Lunar New Year Day, I'll be spending time with my family and with my kids and, you know, calling my parents, doing FaceTime, all the things that we do to, uh, you know, <laughs> well, to celebrate what's most important in our lives, right? Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of community events going on as well. Yes. And as um, a legislator, it's important to try to make sure that people can see the richness and diversity of our culture and know that there's a lot of types of ways to celebrate Lunar New Year, right? Like everyone always thinks of it as Chinese New Year and thinks of the lion dance and things. Yes. But um, one of the responsibilities, I think, of being such a diverse caucus is to make sure that people can see that there's many ways to be Asian and there's many ways to celebrate and it, there's so many beautiful cultures within uh, within our caucus <laughs> itself. So to, to make sure we lift up all those communities and celebrate, celebrate everyone. That's great. Well, uh, in that, I wish you a happy Lunar New Year of the Rabbit. Kong Hei Fa Choi in Cantonese. And, uh, and uh, do you have any greetings that you wish to convey to the AAPI community? In your, well, in your own just, special way. <laughs> I think I'll just tag on to your Cantonese where you say, Kung Hei Fa Choi, and I will say, Sun Nin Fai Lok. Yes. <laughs> With that, thank you, Dr. Ao, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll chat again soon to get an update from you uh, regularly about your caucus and the work that you guys are doing uh, at the state capitol. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate Thanks, your attention to these issues. Bye.